Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, ACB community. Good afternoon and welcome to Home, Garden, and Agriculture. We come to you on the second Saturday of every month with uh, topics related to home gardens and agriculture. And uh, I am Marge and Deborah is my co-facilitator and we're joined today by our guest speaker, Susan. And before you introduce uh, Susan to us, Deborah, how is your garden doing? Well, it's doing pretty well. We've had a fairly mild winter so far. My green stalks growing greens in the unheated greenhouse, that, that's going pretty well. It will be my first winter of that. I've been harvesting lots of greens. Uh, I have some greens growing totally unprotected in a bed. And I also have some greens growing in a whiskey barrel with um, just kind of a floating row cover on them. So, so far, all's looking well. The chickens and the rabbits are very happy that it's a pretty mild winter so far. We did get a good hard frost that knocked uh, all the tender stuff down, but uh, other than that, things are going well. And I don't I don't think I've talked about my fig tree. I had I have a fig tree growing in a mm. half whiskey barrel, and that tree produced so much this year. It was only the second year, and I I just wonderful. had a wonderful time eating those. Yeah, I froze some, and we'll be putting those in smoothies this mm-hmm. winter. And um, I, if anyone who has a Wall uh, area to go on. Ooh, I'm pleased at how much you can get off one little fig tree. So, Marge, how are things going in in your neck of the woods? Nella Foster has. Well, we've uh, still had pretty mild weather. We're short on rain, and uh, we've been doing a lot of planting in the past uh, five six weeks. Uh, because we uh, grow a lot during the fall and winter. With lots of freezing nights, those uh, crops will will carry on and and produce for us. Uh, So it's been a a busy time. It's sort of like springtime for everyone else. We don't do quite as much in the spring as we do in the fall. Um, but I'm always happy to start eating. Uh, we've had some mustard greens, a little bit of Swiss chard to uh, to eat so far, green beans, which are actually a summer crop, but they can go into the fall a ways as well. So eating on lots of, of green beans and, and I'm looking forward to everything else growing to the point where uh, they all become edible. So speaking of edible, our topic today is edible I, landscapes. Um, what can you tell us, Deborah, about our speaker, Susan? Okay, so 
Our our speaker today, our guest, is Susan, and she is an advanced master gardener with the University of Idaho Ada County Extension Agency. She um, is going to talk to us today about edible landscaping, but I know she has some other interests that we might touch on a little bit. We'll see. But Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you and for letting me have here. All right. Well, it's 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 been wonderful having uh, having some of the master gardeners come and talk to us. They are always so interesting and and um, very well versed. Uh, so I I'd just like to start out by asking you, Susan, what what got you into gardening? Where did this start for you? Well, I. Uh, when I uh, was growing up, I had um, gardening with my grandparents and it was my folks and they both had acre gardens and uh, we canned everything that uh, we grew. Uh, and then I got busy and went to college and had a profession and got started back with gardening seriously uh, about 1998 when I started through the Master Gardener program. And uh, I have been involved uh, in a master gardener program for almost 20 years now. Yeah, and, and, and you've gardened in more than Idaho. Can, could you tell us where else you've gardened? Well, I grew up in Kansas, and we had this beautiful river bottom loam to garden in. Uh, unlike here mm -hmm. in Idaho, where it's pretty much clay or sand. Um, <clears throat> And then I also spent uh, 10 years in Arkansas and was part of their Master Gardener program. And after spending 40 years gardening in Idaho with no rain, I went to a, a state that had uh, tail end of hurricane and lots of rain. In fact, seven inches oh. one day. And my, my chickens oh, my. Were, were really not happy with seven inches of rain in the chicken yard. Turns out we that's when we yeah. found out that it was in the uh, low spot in the yard. So, <laughs> oh no, that's that's a problem. They aren't ducks, that's for sure. <laughs> well, well, they they were they were considering web feet. <laughs> they they were considering getting out of there. I'm sure the chickens don't like water. Well, uh -huh. yeah. um, I. So you are a retired physical therapist, correct? That's correct. Uh -huh. and, um, and I know another of your interests is adaptive gardening. I, um, we may have to have you come back and talk to us about that someday because that's another topic that would be very, very interesting to a lot of us. Um, so you're... You're a multifaceted person. Today we're talking about edible landscaping. Yes, and I would be just delighted to come back and visit about adaptive gardening because there's so much stuff. And just to kind of give you some perspective, at 81, I am still uh, trying to raise my own food and, and those kinds of things. Uh, with the um, edible uh, gardening, what I do is that I actually put fruit or vegetable-bearing crops, uh, herbs, in my flower beds. Uh, and 
I've been doing this now for better part of 15 years, and I'm getting better at picking the right kinds of plants, the ones that don't die on me. And I'm now also mm-hmm. starting to ex- uh, experiment with some of the tropical seasonings, uh, like ginger and uh, and those types of things. So now, now that I can't bend over as good as I used to, uh, I'm looking for other plants that I can grow that are new to me, and I'm finding the ginger very interesting. Okay, so maybe moving a little more towards some container gardening and raised bed type gardening. Yes, and you know that's one of the things when you're when you're looking at raised beds, uh, need to look at how much dirt you're going to have to put in it, uh, what kinds of things that will go in it. Uh, raised beds can be staggered in a flower bed, and you can have some flowers in some of it. Uh, some of it will, uh, say, use strawberries as a ground cover. Uh, also, there are a number of herbs that could be used as a ground cover. But one of the things that I want to stress is that you need the regular flowering types of things like the daisies, like the mums, like the flocks to help attract the pollinators and improve the pollination of your uh, edibles. That's a very important point. Yes. So, so Susan, how do you define edible landscaping? has joined the meeting. It's putting plants into the landscape that I can eat. I got into edible landscaping by way of liking very good food. So I did learn to cook, which I didn't know how to didn't know how to to do because I was a farm girl and I was on the tractor. Um, as I got to to doing the cooking, I couldn't find the ingredients I wanted, and so, and so I started gardening uh, again so that I could have the ingredients that I wanted. Yeah, could you um, maybe tell us some of your favorites, some things that have gone really well in your edible landscape? Okay, I've got a whole list of them here that uh, you, that will grow just about anywhere if you're in uh, zo- uh, heat zones, let's see, starting at about uh, four or five through heat zone eight or nine. And some of my That's favorite quite a range. Things, well, it is, and all of them won't grow in all of those places. I want to emphasize. I uh, garden and plant plants in where I live in live in Boise. Uh, I look at zone five A and five B as being my criteria. Now, I like berries a lot. I make a lot of jam. My family demands it. Uh, I like uh, raspberries, both uh, perennial, uh, not perennial, but uh, uh, single season and and repeat season berries. Uh, Blackberries, I have raised in the past. Where I am now, I don't have the room uh, to really cultivate them, although since my daughter has some, I don't have to grow them. Uh, uh, Elderberries are another thing that I have... uh, had great success with. Uh, there are some other natives out there uh, that 
different parts of, of the world could uh, draw on for, uh, for food. Uh, other things that I like are figs. Uh, I had a, a fig tree that got me about a bushel of figs when I was in Arkansas, and it was planted in the ground rather than as you've been doing with a, with a pot. I've also had great success with pomegranates, and I'm uh, considering experimenting with it here because I do have a microclimate that is probably a 6B. And if that's the case, I should, in theory, be able to grow a pomegranate. So I'm going to have to think on that. Uh, I've got some yeah. wild plums. I've got some wild plums planted right now. Uh, there are some cherries that grow on shrubs. Uh, there's an apricot that grows on a shrub. Uh, you've got nut trees that grow on shrubs. So those are, if you're in a small place or you have a small gardening area, you can use those as your shrubs around the home or along the fence or things like that. Uh, other things, now, I do suggest if you're you're going to be doing fruit trees, that you look at semi-dwarf rather than full size, uh, partially because uh, with the semi-dwarf, they're so much easier to take care of. Uh, they're so much easier to pick because they don't get great huge. There was my grandmother's uh, fruit orchard had trees in it that when I was actually picking there that were probably 45, 50 years old and huge. I mean, they were the kind of things that we put ropes on and had our tire swing. So that gives you some perspective of how big they were. Uh, but some real simple things that you can raise in my part of the country are apples, uh, plums, quince, pears, cherries. There are nut trees around. Now, there's one thing that you need to keep in mind when you're looking at fruit trees, and that is, do they require chill hours? I tried very hard to grow apricots when I lived in Arkansas, but never did quite get enough chill hours for it to set fruit. Bloom beautifully, but no fruit. Now, peaches are also another, another thing to think about. And I find when trying to grow them, and this is even with a dwarf or semi-dwarf, that uh, <coughs> you need to put it in, in my part of the country in a microclimate that is going to be more like a 6B or a 7A, any colder and you, uh, because of when the uh, tree starts to bloom, you freeze the blossoms. Uh, another thing that I have used a lot of, uh, particularly in flower beds, are low-growing herbs to use as a ground cover. Uh, strawberries are a really tasty ground cover. I've often used, used uh, asparagus in the back of flower beds so that I've got a, a nice tall background that is kind of a green, ferny look, and it and it bears every spring, and so you've got your asparagus, and you yet you've got the aesthetic of the foliage. Oh my goodness! Well, Susan, you have given a lot of food for thought. I have questions, but just based on what you just said, and I'm sure people listening do too. Before we go to
to take some calls. Um, Marge, do you have any questions for Susan before we take some calls? Well, something to add, Susan, to, to what you've mentioned here and all the possibilities for growing. I think um, we don't always have the mindset of using whatever limited property we might live on to actually grow food. We might, you know, move into a place that has some shrubbery around the house or around in a, a fence area and think, oh, it's all set and it's all growing in there. and We got to trim it and take care of it. And, you know, you don't get anything from it. And that was our view of uh, when we moved where we live 20 years ago, the house was surrounded by uh, shrubs that needed trimming and the area needed weeding, needed attention. So after we'd been there about four years, we pulled out every blessed shrub. This was on the north side and a, a, or rather a west side and southern exposure. And we put in blueberry bushes all around. Forget mm. the stupid uh, shrubs that give us no value. You've got blueberry bushes that have foliage. And so your your front of your house doesn't look bare. Um, and there, you can do this with, with other things as well. And, and we've had, um, we produce way more blueberries than we can eat. So over the years, some of those bushes have died off and we've needed to replace them. But uh, it's it's uh, so much more useful and enjoyable than having a shrub that, that gives you very little. If you're lucky, it's a shrub that blooms, but uh, it may produce very, very little. So I encourage people to think in those kinds of terms. Um, what can you pull out that is producing nothing and put in uh, that might be producing something uh, for you to, to eat? Uh, that That's, to me is, yeah, is uh, the real value of having um, a modest piece of a modest piece of property. Use it to produce. Yeah, so, I, I had a similar experience, but I had a bunch of barberries. <laughs> I had a bunch of barberries that got pulled out. Oh, but And I can tell you, Susan and I are very jealous because we can't blue, grow blueberries here. <laughs> Those, that must be lovely, Marge. Oh, but you grow so other Cindy, things. Yeah, she listed, yeah, she, oh yeah, it doesn't have to be blueberries, that's for sure, lots to choose from, and so, Cindy, do we have any hands, We're, we'd love to hear from people, if you have ideas, what you like to grow, if you have questions, like, I have questions, but I'm going to try to give people an opportunity, um, Cindy, do, do we have any well, hands, and also we have uh, Tyann on Clubhouse. Anybody? Come on, everybody. Want to join in on the conversation? Not yet, but I'm All sure right. somebody well, will. See so as you say okay, that. Cindy, yep, see, you got one. This always happens. There we go. Hey, Zelda, you're up north. Good afternoon. Well, Susan, um, I, I really enjoyed what you've already shared with us. Um, I, too, 
started out in in Kansas. I believe that's where you said you were, you lived at one point in time in the southwest corner of Kansas. I live in North Dakota now, which is a much different climate, but um, you know each has its has its good points and bad. Um, so, where at in Kansas were you from? I was up up up. Mm, pardon me, up at the app. Exact opposite corner. I was up in the northeast corner, not very okay. far from Manhattan. Very good. Yes. Um, I was, yeah. my ears perked up um, when you said elderberry. Um, I believe we have an elderberry tree um, and they are quite fast growing, right? Mine have been. Uh, and I've also uh, taken some berries from the wild and planted them uh, years ago and had minimal success, but some of the new ones that are out now, um, they not only do they grow fast, but some of the new ones, like I started to say, uh, are dwarfed. Really and this okay. time, because of uh, I, I got two uh, of the dwarf, and for those of you who have never grown elderberries, you need to have two different species of elderberry in order to to get fruiting. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason I, I um, my, my ears perked up when, when you said elderberry is last year we planted a shelter belt, actually four shelter belts in um, my father-in-law's on his, on his ranch in South Dakota. And we did so um, with as many fruit varieties as, as we could um, for, um, the, the wildlife there, the pheasants and the deer. And elderberries was one of the species that we planted along with plum and uh, arona berry, um, mm -hmm. crab apple. And, but those elderberry, uh, they recommended that we put a protected tube over them um, to keep the deer from snipping them off when they were just in their infancy and letting them grow. Um, and, those tubes are five foot tall, and within a year, they had gone clear up the tube and out. <laughs> now, we, yep. we don't know what it's going to look like when we take the tube off, um, but they are very vigorous growers, and they had multiple blossoms. We were just amazed. It seemed kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk kind of story um, with the elderberries. Yeah, you know, there are various... Oh, go ahead. Something you might think about protect the elderberry because that is nice and tender. And I live right on the green belt in Boise. Uh, and we have deer coming through and mm -hmm. uh, wild turkeys, a bunch of odds and ends like that. But what you might think about is putting some chicken wire around uh, up as far as you can, as far as the wire is. Of course, deer will jump over a, a four foot fence with a standing right. start. Right, <laughs> uh, but but if you uh, it's like if you were trying to protect a sampling sampling from beaver, mm -hmm. you would put the chicken wire around the trunk of the tree to keep them from chewing on it. Right, but that would serve that would kind of protect your elderberries so that uh, they wouldn't get in too much too much into the right. fruit, the the, uh, the uh, flowers. I don't know whether you made any, paid any we're, attention to that, but that's we're a really we're more good. Con yeah, we're really con yeah. more concerned about them 
um, nipping off the entire tree because um, when they're exactly. foraging in the in the winter time, they need a certain amount of bark to survive. The deer do so. Right. Um, yeah, but we we really have planted all of these trees for for the wildlife. Um, and uh, so we we do want them to survive long enough to to be of some help to to the deer and to the pheasants, <laughs> if they'll only be patient and wait. Yeah, but- they, <laughs> the elderberry makes a really good um, nesting area for hummingbirds. They like nesting in oh. elderberry, uh, but it depends. My elderberry is very bushy. I mean, it has oodles of of branches it's a huge shrubby thing and I cut it clear down to the ground in the fall and it all comes back <laughs> it okay. and it, the chickens love to, to hide under it um it's it's really and my neighbor has one too it's a, the neighbors is a little different variety and that thing is huge just mm-hmm. enormous uh, very brushy the quail like to to sleep in there. Um, so Susan, there are different kinds of elderberry and you were saying there are some um, dwarf varieties. How big do those get? Well, I can't tell you exactly. I, I, I'm looking at mine right now and right now they're about shoulder high on me. But one of the things that I do is after they bear fruit and I have picked it, I do some uh, strategic pruning to keep mm. it down so that I don't have to get up on a ladder. Uh, so I don't know how big these are, would get if I wasn't doing that. But right now they're only a probably a five foot tall. Okay. Do you have um, any other plants you want to talk about, Zelda? You have a lot you grow, I know. <laughs> You're quite the gardener. Well, I'm I'm envious of of the the blueberries too. I wish I could grow those here in North Dakota. We have two pear trees that um, really produced well this year, and normally they're they're not any bigger than say like a, a large golf ball, um, but they were about four times that size this year, which which was wonderful, and so we were able to utilize them. But I would love to be able to produce um, apricots, which they do have varieties that that are hardy enough for. Um, I'm in zone four, and um, and so I'm I'm still hoping. We we usually plant a, a fruit tree or two every year, but I too have the barberry in my shrubs planting around the house, and I. I planted them. Nobody else planted them. I planted them. So it's my oh, fault. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh, oh, we have a problem here, Zelda. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I am now enlightened. I am now enlightened that I could I could put something else in there that it was equally uh, as attractive and would actually provide something that we could use besides thorns. Yeah, yank as- that thing out. Yeah, Although yeah. I believe that... <laughs> I believe that the roots have some kind of medicinal purpose, if memory serves, but it's a vague memory. But you have but to pull it out first. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And who wants to dig around in a barberry? Oh, they hurt. Well, yeah. thank you so much, thank Zelda. You. Thank you. For, so 
Susan, you mentioned the apricot bush and the cherry bush. I know that some of us on the email list have discussed the cherry bush. Could you tell us more about the apricot bush and cherry bush? I'm not terribly familiar with them. Uh, well, the cherry bushes have just now uh, come out. Uh, there are a couple of nurseries that uh, you can order from that have the, have the cherry bushes. Um, the uh, Nanking uh, apricot, I have not tried to grow, but I have, I, I have considered it many times. Again, it's not great big. It's, a, it's an uh, attractive shrub. You would need to kind of do some pruning and, and to make it a little more bushy because most of these shrubs that produce fruit tend to be kind of weedy looking. Uh, I was very disappointed in the looks of the pomegranate, for example. Very weedy looking, but absolutely gorgeous, vibrant, red-orange flowers all over. And so mm. that, that that saved it. And then I got smart and, and uh, started reading up on how to take care of it. Uh, and I was starting to, to get it so it didn't look so weedy, so strategic. Pruning is going to make a difference with any of the bushes that produce fruit. But with the apricots, I have not uh, had a chance to actually plant those. There's a number of states that will not allow you to um, uh, bring in some types of cherries and, uh, some, and the Nanking apricot. So you need to be real conscious of that. For example, here in Idaho, uh, there is a disease that affects uh, onion roots. And so the uh, state will not permit us to uh, bring in anything, any tuber like uh, a uh, uh, potato or uh, mm -hmm. allium. So long as it's mm -hmm. a tuber thing, uh, we can't bring it in. We can't bring in uh, onion sets, things like that. We can't bring mm -hmm. in shell sets. But we can bring in the seed because that doesn't have the roots that uh, carry the disease. So that's one of the things. Well, uh, go ahead. Oh, so so the Nanking apricot and the uh, bush cherries, do they produce the standard size fruit and the fruit that tastes comparable to, um, you know, a tree fruit or? Are there any other differences? I can't uh, answer that question from personal experience. I can only answer it from what the uh, producers and the people that are selling them uh, say about them. Uh, some of the cherries are uh, about twice the size of a choke cherry. For those of you know who know what a choke cherry is, um, and uh, they, some of them are sweet, and and some of the species are tart. So I can't really answer that question. Okay. Well, way, it does sound like there are some options to look at, huh? Well, now, so, cherries, um, Cindy. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Tilt cherries are something that grow wild around our area. Uh, and I imagine you find them in North and South Dakota, too. Um, but they make wonderful jelly or jam. So, um, 
Cindy and Tyann, do we have any hands? No, ma'am. Watching. All right. Well, not yet. Okay. Well, we would love to hear from. Okay. You know, every time you say, well, not yet, somebody raises their hand. Everybody. (laughs) Okay, Lynn, go ahead and unmute. Hi. Can you you hear me? Hello. Can you? Hi. Yes. And can you tell us where you're calling from? Yes, this is Lynn from Kentucky. All right. So a great talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, I do have one question, and and, uh, I'm sure that the rest of these fine people know what this is, but I do not. I haven't been in gardening very long, Um, only a few years. What is a microclimate? Okay. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a real good question. And uh, a microclimate, uh, okay, let's start with what a regular climate is, and that is one that... uh, Everywhere in your area will have, display the same temperature, uh, and it's particularly uh, temperature-oriented. It's not some other types of, thing, types of things. So a microclimate is a special little place where, say, the wind can't get to it. You've got a fence that uh, breaks the wind, and that mm. temperature there will be warmer than the temp- the surrounding area. Does that make sense? Is it like a greenhouse then sort of thing? It, it can be a place in your yard. Like it's a greenhouse. I have a microclimate. Set. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> I have a microclimate by my house. Um okay. where it it the the bricks warm up during the day, if okay. they face south, or, or they get the south sun, and um, and they and overnight they release that heat, and the plants that are planted, and oh. it's kind of protected from the wind, and it's just kind of a little sheltered area where it stays a little bit warmer than the rest of my yard. Well, thank you. I did not know anything about this. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. It's a a really good question. Well, thank you so much. It's a wonderful tool if if you're particularly living in an area like ours, uh, because I can, if I know what's going on in around my house and uh, whether what where the wind is coming from and that kind of thing, I can plant stuff like I'm thinking really seriously thinking about that pomegranate. Okay. Well, I, I didn't know that, anything. Yeah, I think the idea of a microclimate to Lynn and, and others is something that you learn about over time when you live somewhere. It's not like you would um, wake up one day and say, oh, I've got a microclimate over there. It's something you have to kind of explore and, you know, you um, just depends on where you live, what way your, your house faces, what, uh, what, barriers you have between you and wind if you have parts of your land that that maybe dip down um you can have a microclimate that's like a lower area where you live and people with more property might even have you know multiple microclimates but 
if you have a, a house or maybe another building, you you know, just think about like where the sun hits and what, what yeah. it does. So yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, I think a lot of people who, mm. you know, have never thought about this at all. So it's, that's why it's such a good question. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. We don't think about it often, but Susan is certainly big on the microclimate. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's good. Thank you so much for the information. Thank you for sharing with us. All right. Any other hands? Not yet. I'm watching for okay. am. Okay. So Susan, you, you mentioned nut bushes. What are, what are some nut bush options that you would recommend? To me, and you do have another hand up, which she gets finished. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, you want to take I, this, and I, then we can answer the next question. You bet. Uh, to me, nuts. Okay. Are, nuts are trees, not bushes. Okay. Um, and I, I think in terms of almond, uh, walnut. Uh, some of those kinds of things. I think there's a beech nut. I have not taken the, the opportunity to study nut trees, but I do know that they can be used <clears throat> um, as part of a landscape. Now, there used to be a, a chestnut that uh, grew, but, but had a bunch of disease problems. And so that was native to the uh, Eastern United States and uh, Southeastern United States, and they have pretty much died out. That was an edible chestnut. The horse chestnut is, is not edible, um, but that's about the extent of my knowledge of nut trees. Okay, I do know that um, hazelnuts or filberts can grow in a bushy form, and that they can grow in kind of a smaller area. But we have a hand, so um, who do we have? Hey, Zelda, go ahead. All right, it's just me again. And and I really enjoy the discussion on, on the microclimates. That's something I've never really thought about, but kind of used because certain things grow better because I just figure they're they're happier in this place than that place and living where I live here in North Dakota where our winters can get very severe um, we have to think about protection for our for our plantings you know our our shrubs and our trees and um, I know it's it's a lot different in, in one place than it is in another. Um, last March, um, when I was in the D.C. area, we visited Mount Vernon. And while I was there, it was very interesting, as you were talking, Deborah, about um, the bricks being a solar conductor. Um, they had an area in, in their plantings where they had taken fruit trees and made them one-dimensional and splayed them next to their... Espalier. Espalier. Yes, there it's called Espalier. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. And, and that was the first time I had seen that in, you know, in person. Um, but it was like March 
that first or second week in March, around March 10th, and they had fruit trees that were blooming already then um, because of that that heat that was coming off of it. It wasn't brick, but it was stone. Um, there was a stone building mm -hmm. there. And I, I was very impressed with that. And anyone who has um, got limited space, that is a really... Um, you know, that's a that's a good possibility of, of you having a, a tree where you might not have room to let it go in. The that is a good point. Three dimensional way that it, it usually naturally goes, but it takes a lot of maintenance to to train it that way. It does. Yeah, that is a really, really good point. Um, I follow a YouTuber who has an entire orchard that is espaliered. Wow. And uh, I... I have a thornless blackberry that I espaliered for the first time this year. Mm. And the production was amazing. The, the um, picking the fruit was so easy. And it, it's in a little tiny area. You know, usually blackberries will just kind of take over the world. Uh, we, so, yeah, Susan, do you have any experience? Experience with this ballet. That is a really nice way to incorporate edible landscaping. It, it would be a very good yeah. way. And it's not something that I have ex experimented with, although I have uh, taken vines uh, like grapes and, and uh, muscadine and some of those. And kind of using that same principle of espalier. Now, the other thing that came mm -hmm. to mind when she mentioned uh, the espalier, and because it, it's a good way to, to um, have your fruit if you're in a colder climate and can get it against a warm surface, is uh, they've got uh, columnar uh, fruits out now. Most of them are apples, and these will grow in very uh, narrow areas. They may from the uh, information that I've been reading on them, they uh, will be about uh, four foot uh, by four foot so far as, as wide uh, front and side to side and front to back. And they may grow as much as 10 feet tall. And uh, that's something that could be used as a screen. Uh, and there's another thing that came up that somebody mentioned uh, about blackberries, thornless blackberries. Uh, University mm -hmm. of Arkansas uh, cultivated a large number what are uh, that are commercially available blackberries that are thornless. But one thing that when I was down there that they found was that it wasn't unusual for them to revert back to having thorns like Mother Nature started out. So it's something to think about and not be uh, surprised if for some reason that would happen. I've heard of that. I have heard of that reverting happening. So far, so good on mine, but we'll see. Well, they say it. They um, say it takes anywhere from five to ten years for it to happen. So okay, yeah, mine aren't there yet. Well, goodness, uh, I'll have to get goats to get rid of them if that happens. <laughs> so, Marge, <laughs> do you have anything you want to ask or contribute? Well, um, thinking about uh, very productive um, sorts of plants or trees that we can add to our landscapes, um, Deborah, you mentioned having the the fig um, in a in a pot, 
and uh, we have a, a, a fig tree that's a very modest size. And something I wanted to mention about fig trees is that we think of them, if we know figs at all, as uh, growing pretty big. And um, they don't have to. Um, it's quite possible to keep them looking more like a shrub, which is what we've done with ours. And uh, it was grown from cuttings uh, from a neighbor's tree. It's very easy to grow fig trees. And they do grow in lots of parts of the country. I don't know the the, the zone extent on figs, but... Um, I like them because there are so many different varieties suitable for different climates and that they can be really productive even after just a very short time, maybe in the second year, um, you can get a fair bit of production. And um, so I, I wanted to, I guess, recommend uh, figs and let people know that, that they can be kept manageable. Now, some people talk about having trouble with birds um, eating figs. We haven't faced that. Um, I have indoor-outdoor cats and they're on patrol and it may be, you know, a deterrence <laughs> factor there um, if she's over there under the fig tree, especially. Um, I wish I could just pay her to kind of do that, but can't pay cats to do anything. So, um Figs, you know, any thoughts that either of, of you have on figs? I'm a real fig fan um, just because of how productive they are and how easy they are to deal with. We don't fertilize it. We don't do anything to it other than keep it manageable in its size. You do have a hand They up. are amazingly easy to start. Oh, let's take that question. Or okay, call. Devin, you're up. Go ahead and unmute. Hi, everybody. Hi, Devin. I forgot where you're from. Uh, I'm from the northwest corner of Pennsylvania. All right. So kind mm -hmm. of similar climate, it sounds like, zone to Idaho. Um, but I was, yeah. I'm interested in talking more about the figs, but I also, Susan, you mentioned a quince, and I was just wondering what that was. Well, it, um, we have a master gardener in our advanced program that has a quince tree and we were having some bad storms coming in and she gave me a holler uh, to come help pick. And uh, they have a very uh, fruity, uh, very pleasant smell when the fruit is ripe. Uh, the one, and I've got some right here that I'm actually looking at to talk to you about it. Uh, they're about the size of not many of the ones on her tree are about the size of a uh, uh, large apple. Uh, she uses them, and, and I do too, uh, use them to make um, applesauce or mix them with apples. So I use Pink Lady apples in particular uh, to make uh, a, an applesauce type thing. You could slice them, and again, I mix them with apples. Uh, make pie uh, you can make jam um, I fixed myself some salmon the other day and uh, used some of the sauce as a uh, condiment to eat with the salmon and I thought that was just pretty good um, but it's it's a, a tree that tolerates 
cold. And it seems to me, and if somebody knows better, please let me know. It seems to me that it's very commonly used in Europe for jams, jellies, pies, uh, baked goods, and things like that. Yeah, and it grows in a shrubby form. It does grow in a shrubby form, and it has beautiful spring blossoms, really striking spring blossoms. So it's ornamental, too. But you wouldn't eat that fruit raw, correct? That's what she said was that, it, and what I've been reading, and uh, now that I've had access to it, um, that it's really not very good raw. And I have not tried. I've just taken it to, to be the fact. So I don't know what it tastes like if it's raw. You know, something else that I was uh, thinking about, so far we've all talked about fruit and berries and all that kind of stuff, well, and asparagus, um, but doing using things like uh, lettuce or greens as a ground cover are some other mm-hmm. things that can be done that make the area productive. But again, uh, if, it, if your greens aren't going to seed, then uh, you don't need to have other flowers around there. But I I do that quite often. I use uh, dwarf squashes uh, as a ground cover in my flower beds. Oh, that yeah, good point. So, Devin, um, did that answer your question about quince? Yeah, it does. They sound like really interesting. Um, so they're more of like a a shrub size. It sounds or like a small tree. But yeah, yeah it sounds but, like an interesting plant. There, there are two. There are two different kinds of quince. One is a shrub and one is a tree. Oh, okay. And, uh, and the shrubs, uh, the ones that I've seen, uh, you could groom them, and most people keep them about, oh, four or five feet tall. Now, the tree that uh, that I got the quince off of uh, is, is a regular-sized tree, and she had it pruned uh, very much like you would prune uh, an apple tree. Uh, and, um, and I learned and something, Susan. I didn't know there was a tree form. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a pretty little tree. Uh, it, she yeah. has a small space and, and has the good fortune to live on a lateral of a uh, hot water canal. So she's got an interest, really interesting microclimate. Hmm. And, but they're pretty hardy. The quince are pretty hardy. They can handle uh, some rough conditions. So um, any, any other questions or comments, Devin? No, I think that was it, but I'm finding this all really interesting. Thank you. That is Jenna. Well, thank you. Thank you very it. much. Oh my goodness, we're at 10 up already. Okay. So if anyone wants to join with something, you ha- we're coming down to the wire, so please jump in while you can. Do we have well, any hands? Susan and Deborah, any more thoughts about figs? Uh, other than I, uh, I thoroughly enjoy them, and I don't, I have very limited space, so figs are not real high on my list. And besides, I've got friends like Deborah, so I, 
I'm fine. <laughs> well, I have family and they all, when it's funny, everybody, I have the fig in my driveway in the summer. And when it was full of fruit, everybody who came over stopped by the fig and had to pick a fig, and including my guide dog. She figured out that when we stopped by the fig, magically she got a fig. So <laughs> they are so good. But um, the one I have is the Chicago hardy fig that you can apparently grow straight in the ground in uh, zone five. Um, there are many different varieties of figs and uh, it, you know, it depends on your zone. What I, I would definitely talk to your local trustworthy nursery about um, what varieties might work well for you in your area. And then you need to think about, do you want to grow it in a container or do you want to grow it in the ground? Um, and they come in different colors and different flavors. Um, some are juicier than others. Um, there are many, many, many different things to choose from. In my climate, I, I just went the safe way and grew uh, the Chicago Hardy. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really a fun plant to grow. It, Deborah, uh, years ago, I uh, grew a Chicago Hardy and we had a winter where I lost all my roses because it was so cold and the uh, fig went too. But the interesting thing was, is it came back from the root. So I was I've heard that. About. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people. It can die completely to the ground and uh, comes back up from the roots and, mm -hmm. and it's producing gangbusters before you know it, even when that happens, they are yeah, no tough. Something that people may not realize is that uh, figs are pollinated by, I believe it's an ant, and it comes, uh, the, the plant itself comes with it. So uh, you've already got your pollinator uh, that's part of the uh, plant, and that's what uh, uh, makes sure that you set the figs. Well, I must have had plenty. <laughs> so um, I did have to ask you about pawpaws. Have you grown pawpaws? Yes, I have. And uh, I had problems with my chickens and the pawpaws. They got them before I did. So uh, uh, I can't tell you what they tasted like, but years and years and years ago, back as, as a teenager, uh, I thought that they were really quite tasty. It seemed to me that they were real sweet tasting and kind of banana mushy. I don't know if that makes uh, sense or not, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't yeah. get to them before the chickens did. I've heard them described as custardy, but I yes, haven't had one, but that's too. something that, yeah, that's mm -hmm. something else for people. And, I have hardy kiwi vines. I mean, there are so many options out there. We could talk forever, but we're coming down to the kind of coming down toward the end here. Marge, did you have anything you wanted to ask or say as we're starting to wind down? Well, we've got a little bit of time here, but uh, Susan, do you have any more thoughts on on ground covers that 
have been successful for you? Um, I particularly like time, but then that's something that I use in my cooking quite a bit. Yes. Uh, and uh, other herbs that I have been very successful with, one is dill. And I know you can get the, the mammoth, which is huge, like three and four foot tall. But I pick the, I pick the uh, ones that are a little smaller in the same way with basil. Uh, and basil makes a very pretty uh, ground cover. Now, it's going to be taller. It's going to probably be about a foot tall. Uh, but again, it makes a very nice, uh, pretty ground cover. And as you walk by it, if you brush it, you smell basil. Same way with lavender. Uh, in fact, in the old days, uh, they would always plant a lavender at the entrance to the home. And if they were expecting company, they'd go out and room to uh, get the smell going so that when their company came that that's what they smelled but i uh, <clears throat> some of the uh, taller uh, herbs make really good ground covers the two that i've mentioned well great thank oh, you oh my, my goodness yeah thank you so much well i hope we can have you back on I, it's been an absolute pleasure having you Talk with us today, and Susan, thank you. And and maybe you've kind of wet the appetite for some people. Uh, we've just kind of thrown out some ideas to consider. Um, get rid of those barberries. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I I do uh, I just wanted to let people know that next month what we are doing is. We're going to have kind of an open line, but we want you to call in and tell us what your favorite gardening or homesteading resources are. And that can be books, magazines, uh, YouTube, Facebook groups, whatever. We want to hear your ideas for how you um, improve your skills as a gardener or homesteader or uh, animal caregiver, whatever we want, we want to hear from you. So um, please prepare for that. Also, in January, we have a um, Peggy is going to join us. She is a a historian who specializes in the history of blind people, and she is going to focus on some um, blind people in agriculture. Some. Uh, some of you may have read her article that uh, one of our uh, list subscribers posted, and it, it was a lovely article about uh, a chicken farmer who was flying back um, many, about a oh, hundred years ago. And she has more stories like that to tell us. So look forward to that in January. And I want to thank Tyanne, who was our streamer and clubhouse moderator today. And um, and we had Cindy, who um, did a wonderful job with um, with the uh, Zoom and other juggling things. I also want to thank every person who called and listened today. Thank you, Marge. It's all yours. Yes. Well, again, uh, thanks to all of you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in the midst of the holiday season. Uh, in December and then into the new year. So thanks everyone. And that's it for today.